0: Welcome to Episode 16 of the A Free Spirit Life Podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. I'm Shannon Kinney-Dew, creator of afreespiritlife.com, and I'm a holistic life and spiritual coach. One of my greatest passions in life is inspiring women like you to... Remember how amazing they are to awaken to the life that you're living and the life that you want to live so that you feel happier, that you feel less stress in your life and that you feel more free, free to be who you truly are and to follow your courage so that you can create a life that is in line with your truest calling. So you're in the right place today to get inspired because I have an amazing guest. Her name is Emily Jertie, and she is the author of the new book, Minimalist Living for a Maximum Life, The Joys of Stress-Free Living. Emily has a mission that she feels super passionate about. She wants to provide quality information ranging from minimalist living, organic food, sustainable practices, self-care, mindful parenting, and other mindful practices that help uplift women and mothers from around the world. She says that her greatest joy is helping other women and mothers take better care of themselves so that they are able to give their best to their children. You are going to be really inspired by Emily's story as she talks about her journey of downsizing. Her family was living in a 2200 square foot home with five acres of land and they were feeling completely overwhelmed by the daily responsibilities that just come with caretaking that much space they weren't even using half of the space that they were living in but still feeling like they were stuck in debt and living a cycle of being consumed by their stuff so she talks about practical tools on how you can start letting go of the stuff that you're feeling overwhelmed by. And she shares how it has brought her to the tiny house movement. She's really, really inspiring. And I think at the end of the show, you're going to feel a little lighter, you're going to feel a little freer, and you're going to feel more excited about letting go of some of the stuff that's carrying weight in your life. That might be the pictures that you hold on to, the books that you have, the too many clothes or children's toys. We talk about how hard it is to go through our stuff and yet how freeing it is. I am so excited. Even if you don't have any interest in a tiny home, you probably have some sort of interest in minimal living or clutter-free living or at least getting a little more organized in your life. And you will feel that from this show. You'll feel ready to conquer some of your clutter that's taking over your life. So let's get right to the show. And for more information about Emily and her book, visit the show notes at afreespiritlife.com, episode 16. Enjoy the show. Hi, Emily. I am so excited to talk with you today. Thanks for being
1: here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited and honored because I just adore your podcast. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. And I want you to just share a
0: little bit more about who you are and kind of your family life with our listeners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We recently, in August of 2015, started our Tiny House Build It is a tiny house on wheels. It's 325 square feet. And we just kind of were inspired by the minimalist movement. And actually, at the time, we didn't even know that's what it was. But we were just looking for a way to simplify our lives. And this sort of felt like the answer. So it's been a really enjoyable journey and a crazy adventure, ups and downs. But all in all, we are just so happy and We're just so enjoying this wonderful tiny house movement and it's changed our lives forever. Mm. Well, I know we're going to
0: dive more deeply into kind of what got you to this point and how it's changed your life. This is really exciting to me because although I can't claim to be a minimalist yet, I've always been passionate about reducing clutter and getting rid of clutter and trying to at least have a place for the things and only keep the things that you, you know, really Need and I have especially and I have three kids and a dog, and I've seen how that um, has simplified our life greatly when I go back and flash back to those moments where there were toys everywhere and just chaos um, not to say I don't have chaos in my life to this day, <laughs> but it feels um freeing and so I'm really excited because I'm nowhere near where you are and I'm just I'm, but I'm fascinated by it so take us back I know that you well first of all how many people live in your home There's when you. we
1: we started this journey with four cats a large black lab and uh, a toddler and wow. my husband and myself okay and we know are, we, we are now the same just down one cat <laughs>
0: Wow, that's good. Okay, so I love hearing that because so many people probably are starting to listen, well, you know, maybe she's single or, you know, I love that you are a family, a full family living in a tiny home. So for those listening, this isn't just about tiny home. This is about simplifying your life, right? Would you say this is about just finding what works for you where you're not so consumed by shuffling stuff and overwhelmed by your
1: things, yeah, that was definitely our motivation. It was partly the environmental piece because that's really huge for us. We really wanted to have a smaller impact. And when we lived in our 2200 square foot home, we never used our basement. We always had it as like a our friend was staying there at the beginning as an apartment, and then after that I ran my organic daycare in the basement and we were kind of like giggling like we're paying for all this space and we're heating and cooling all this space and we're only using half of it. And even that was a little bit like our upstairs, you know, you use your living room, your kitchen and your bathroom and bedroom. And so there was like, we co-slept. So we had a bedroom that was basically empty. Mm-hmm. And then we had a living room that we'd never use. It was just like, what are we doing? We're paying for all this space that we're not using. So it was a really great solution to that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the having less clutter... It's just, it's honestly addicting and not addicting in a bad way, but in a free, like you said, it's very freeing. Mm-hmm. And we even now are still, still downsizing our stuff because we, every time, every couple months, we're like, oh my gosh, I haven't used that yet. Like, why do I have this? <laughs> wow.
0: See, I think that's so amazing. And I want you to take us back to when you were living in that, you said it was 22 square foot home and you had like some acreage, right? Yeah, we had five acres. Okay, so you're taking care of this, and you um, are a young family, and and you say you were giggling about the space, but I bet there was there had to be some sort of overwhelming feeling too, like this kind of. Did you ever have like a breaking point or? Um, was it a gradual stress that this was just too much to care for or, you know, kind of take us back to just your, the, how did you get from that point where you were, where you really made the decision to actually get rid of your things and sell your home?
1: Yeah, there was definitely a breaking point. I, um, my husband and I both, uh, well, okay. At the time he was getting his master's degree. Our son was one years old. I was working um, full time daycare, and I was also coaching gymnastics in the evening. So we were just so overwhelmed. My husband was working full time and going to school, and then you know I had these two jobs, and we had an infant at home. And we're like, "What are we doing? This is insane! All of this just to afford this home." And our home was not that expensive; it was only two hundred forty-two thousand, mm-hmm. and we were still like barely making ends meet because of. I mean, we. We aren't extravagant, but we do eat 100% organic. So Mm -hmm. 90% of our money was going to food. And we wanted to sustain that lifestyle, but not in the way that we were doing it by having potentially, you know, three, four jobs. So that was really the breaking point. I actually was borderline. I was almost Hashimoto's. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't do this. I'm literally killing myself working. And for those
0: who don't know what that is, is that that's a thyroid
1: Yes. Yeah. It's, your thyroid is like about ready to crash. It's no longer functioning. Right. So you're pushing an overdrive. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and I wasn't, you know, we were co-sleeping and breastfeeding full time. So, you know, I, I, my, I wasn't sleeping Mm -hmm. on top of it. So, and running your own business and yeah, it was just mass chaos. And we were like, I just hit my, when I found out that I was, if I kept going this way, I was going to get Hashimoto's. I was like, nope, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we started you know, downsizing, selling everything that we didn't need. And I quit running my daycare, which is really hard for me because I've been caring for children since I was 10 years old. I became an aunt when I was 10. And ever since then, I've been a babysitter, a nanny, uh, teacher, uh, daycare provider. So it was just sort of this like, oh my gosh, like the end of an era really. And my entire, you know, my master's degrees in education. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? And but it was just one of those things where, you know, it just sort of aligned that the, my, my whole body was just telling me like, just, just stop, take a mm-hmm. breath. And it was hilarious. We were sitting with my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law out on their deck and, you know, we were just like chatting and I was like, gosh, you know, I would really like to kind of, you know, simplify and just kind of stop working and be able to be with my son in homeschool. And, and, um, my sister-in-law was like, well, have you heard of the tiny house movement? And that was, that was it. Like then it just literally within two months, we made the decision and everything just started rolling from there.
0: Wow. So when you were giving your, it sounds like the daycare you working was probably one of the harder things to give up. Was there anything else that stands out to you where you just, it was hard to let go of?
1: Yeah, for uh, for our family, it was um, like artwork mm-hmm. and books and, you know, the whole like family heirloom things. That was really hard. And we it, we just kind of did it in a process. So we, you know, a lot of people do these like minimalist downsizing challenges, which I think are great. That doesn't work for me because I really like to let go slowly and sort of, you know, really have some deep thoughts about like, what is truly important to me. Mm. So just I'll give you one example, like for photos, like I was really into taking photos as a teenager. And you know, I'm going to give my age out here, you know, being 33, I actually had like, two huge, like five foot Tupperware full of printed photos, because that's just my generation. And going through those photos was the hardest thing I ever did. But it was so funny. It was so like opening, you actually sit down with them because I, mm-hmm. I hadn't even looked at them since I printed them. Right. I mean, of course I have some album albums and I was, I was part of the whole scrapbooking phrase uh, phase. So mm-hmm. I had some scrapbooks and going through them. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, I have like triples of these photos or they're blurry or like, they're basically the same photo. It's just my head's turned a different way. Or there's maybe like one less person in the photo, but it's essentially the same photo. And so it was really, interesting to kind of have that reflection of, oh, wow, I guess I only need like one of these <laughs> out of this entire event that I went to. There's like one good photo. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was really, really freeing. And as far as artwork, that was really hard. My grandpa passed away when I was real young and he was a painter and it was really, 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 really tough to pick. But I just, some of the artwork that I accumulated on vacations and things, I just put in a, a three ring binder mm-hmm if they were small enough. And so then we just sort of swap them out. Mm -hmm. But then I know, I noticed I started to kind of stop swapping them out. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, well, clearly my grandpa's paintings are the most important. And some of this other stuff isn't as important to me. So we sold some of those. So it's a really kind of interesting journey of self-reflection and what really value, you know, matters to you, what your values are.
0: Mm. I love that. Let's talk more about that. You know, I think a lot of the movements you're talking about um, encourage you to only keep things that bring you joy. And um, and also, I've been, I read a really great article. I'll share the, it, the link in the show notes, but it was about how You know, sometimes we resist letting things go or even going through our stuff because we haven't grieved or we haven't fully allowed ourselves, as you're saying, that time for self-reflection. And so if you're holding on to, like, letters, say, from a past relationship or those photos that, you know, it's – sometimes we want to avoid and not even look at them, but we end up collecting and storing things that just are piles in our life, right? And so it is a sensitive thing. I like your approach of just going slow and um, seeing what you discover and what you might find is that you are ready To let those go, or you are needing to process some feelings that you've been holding on. Like, even like for me, it it was more about like baby things or, um, things from my youth where now I'm feeling I'm older than 33. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like, um, you know, that can bring a sense of sadness. Like, oh, that time has passed. And yet, um, how, what a relief to know that you are more available for now. Because you don't have all that stuff just weighing you down. So talk us through like, um, I know there's like a million questions in this one, but let's first go to when you are ready. Let's say the people listening now, okay, I know I've been holding on to stuff. I'm ready to face it. I'm ready to let go of, um, but I'm afraid. I feel fearful. I fear some emotion coming up. Um What are some of your suggestions for those who are ready to let go of, but maybe feeling scared about it?
1: Yeah, no, I have a a really great trick that my twin sister, Ashley, taught me. We were going through some, like you said, some of the baby stuff and we made um, a couple piles. So we made a keep pile that I was like 100% sure I want to keep. I made a maybe pile. I made a sell pile and a donate pile. And then, of course, there were some things that weren't salvageable. So, unfortunately, there was a trash pile that it was just like, not. We can't possibly. It would be just mean to give that to somebody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that really helped because the maybes ended up pretty much all being a sell or donate because it was one of those things. Again, it just it just allows you that time. So, if it's set in the maybe pile for a long time, I noticed I after a couple weeks, I didn't care anymore. Because once you kind of get in this flow of getting rid of stuff, and honestly, it's kind of a motivator when you're selling things and getting money back, you're like, Oh, that's kind of nice to have 200 extra dollars for groceries this week. So it it you, you'll start to get in the flow. And then that's where you it actually becomes enjoyable instead of grieving and tearful. So that would just be my recommendation. And some things I also actually even let sit for several months. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the baby clothes. I was the same as with you. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't. I like have all these adorable baby clothes with all these memories. And so I had a great recommendation that someone said, just take a photo of them. And then, you know, because, you know, we were in the digital age, right? So it just can sit on your computer and just sort of like that's sort of your memory of it if you really need to. But then I was kind of like, well, that's kind of ridiculous. I, I'm sure I have a photo somewhere of him in that outfit on my computer. And mm-hmm. I just sort of realized like you just kind of get in this flow of like, oh yeah, like it's not the item that holds the memory. The memory's in my heart. Like mm-hmm. it's it's not something that the item is holding for me. So yes. that's when it really shifted my thinking of like I gave we we sold half of our baby clothes. And I was like, you know what? We only need 15, like onesies, not 35. He's for the next kid. So that's kind of how we went about it. And it worked for us.
0: I love that. I know that when I started going through my stuff you're right when you say it really shows what you you learn what you value um, for me it was books too I thought for sure back in the day that I could never get rid of my books and then I'm really realizing that I don't reread a book like I I might mark up a book I will keep my very favorites but I liked handing the books out and now I'm just like an obsessive library <laughs> reader and so I don't you know but it, it take it took me a while so I, it was the books and it was same as you the pictures. Um, but, uh, I think that we hold on to stuff sometimes because we're afraid that we're not going to be provided for. And I want you to talk like, like one thing I know a lot of listeners, um, are maybe artists or they have a lot of crafting that they do. And I know for me too, that was kind of hard in the beginning to let go of supplies that you think you're going to use someday. And then I started to realize that that hoarding or that holding on was kind of my fear of saying, you know, but what if... I'm not going to be provided for in the future. Like, what if, you know, I need this someday And instead of just learning to trust, learning that when that project that I'm going to do shows up or when that book that I want to read or anything, that person that I'm going to meet, it will come to me when there's space. And do you feel that now that you've been living this way for a while, those things that you were worried about letting go of, are you... Do they show up for you? Are you feeling that you can trust life a little more? And help us, walk us through that a little bit with those listening.
1: Yeah, abs- yeah, that really rings true for me because um, being a homeschool slash unschooler and having, I had an entire basement. My entire first grade classroom of curriculum was in our basement in our home. Wow, I bet that was hard. Oh, it was so <laughs> hard until two young teachers who were just starting out showed up and they got half of their classroom for an eighth of the price. Mm -hmm. And that was really, really comforting for me because I was gifted a ton of stuff from a teacher who was retiring. I was taking her place and she was like, take it all. What do I want it for? Like, and it was so, it was so like beautiful to kind of, you know, just give back and be able to keep that cycle going. Mm-hmm. So that was really really helpful for us. And then as far as like now, you know, I again it came down to I kept what I was like, okay, this is something that I know I'm going to use. For example, like a couple little like mini whiteboards and some little, you know, dry erase markers. Like they, you know, just kind of again kind of thinking forward of what is going to be essential? Like, do I really need those little puff balls? No. Like, (laughs) you know, what are kind of the essential pieces that I know that like can be used over and over and over again? So that was kind of, you know, our journey of, okay, what am I going to really, really, really like need as far as, you know, some of this stuff like isn't available anymore because I got some stuff from like 1970. And I was like, this is so cool. So it really, again, comes down to just sort of that reflection piece But as far as like being provided for, absolutely. And it's so interesting because honestly, we kind of shifted more from homeschooling to unschooling because my son's only four and he's the kind of kid that would be told to sit down every five seconds in a classroom. And I know that because I was a teacher. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of interesting that we've actually kind of shifted to just being outside and our nature is our classroom. And you know, sticks and rocks. And, you know, of course, you know, sometimes like, yeah, we'll, we'll need to go get some chalk or, you know, some paint or something, or I'll make my own paint. And, you know, it is, it it does kind of seem that the more you trust and the more you just focus on abundance, the more it flows to you. So you can focus on abundance more when you aren't thinking in lack and when you're worried about whether or not you have enough stuff for that project that's coming in three years, you're sort of inadvertently thinking in a lack sort of mindset. So it has really, we've noticed things flowing a lot easier because we are always thinking, you know what, we're it's it's going to come to us when we need it, just like you said. Mm,
0: I love that. You give me chills talking about, lack, you know, I think so many people that I talk to, you know, come from that place where they feel like they aren't enough, they don't have enough, and are living in a state of debt. Um overwhelm and our culture feeds into that doesn't it I mean we are constantly inundated with buy more do more compete with your neighbors and 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 of course social media and you, you you compare your life to the way that most people live but um what we don't see are the tears behind the closed doors the the stress level the high anxiety that people are living with and um And so I just encourage everyone who's listening, even if you're not, of course, ready to go the tiny house route, I think that we all have stuff that we hold on to because we feel like either we don't have enough or we're not enough. And so talk about, um, you've already shared a little bit about it, but what does living an abundant life mean to you now?
1: Oh, man, I'm going to try not to tear up. (laughs) Mm. Um. It's so interesting because the last, just since starting living in our tiny house, it's been just this huge, like it's, it's even hard to put in words. So, you know, we, our generation grew up with, you know, baby boomers and a lot of them had, you know, the tail end of the depression and it's kind of this like almost like generational, like, I don't know if for those who have, have looked into epigenetics and, just sort of that like, kind of like we were born of this society that is like, ah, like hoarders and like, we have to save just in case. And Mm -hmm. really working through those like ancestral feelings has been really tough. I have to admit it has been. And I even cycle back sometimes and I find myself going back that direction, but luckily having you know been on this journey it's kind of rethinking what abundance means because i used to think abundance meant wealth i thought that's honestly what the word meant as far wealth as far as money and i've mm-hmm. i've learned that abundance is so much broader than that it's abundance in love in joy in in creation and just being and and family and whatever it means to you abundance is going to be different for everyone and it's so funny how you know, God or the universe or source or whatever word you like to use has been throwing our family these lessons. It's constantly like testing us. Like, do you really know what abundance means? Because we, we have had challenges since this tiny house movement with finances and we keep going through these cycles of like true wealth and then kind of like something gets thrown at us. And, you know, like I've had two miscarriages. So that really, put a dent in our finances and then we've moved several times and you know how it goes. Even if you're in a tiny house, every time you move, it does cost money. Mm -hmm. And so just some interesting like life things happening that, um, kind of put us on this roller coaster, but it, it's sort of like we've, we're coming into this era of abundance, meaning joy and laughter and time and tribe. And it's really starting to shift our thoughts and we've sort of just been, we're still responsible with our money, but we're not focusing on it. If when we focus on it, it's affirmations of, you know, I, I am wealthy in all areas. I'm abundant in all areas. And just sort of trusting that when the time is right, abundance will flow our way. So that's just been this beautiful and challenging journey, but it's just really exciting just to remember that abundance is what it means to you. And there's no definition, I guess. Mm-hmm. You are my soul sister.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I like that you're honest, that it's not just all perfect, right? I mean, we still are humans. We still are a family. We still are going to have challenges. Um, ta- let's talk a little bit about just the practical side of things. I know that you wrote a book. Can you tell us the title?
1: Yeah, it's minimalist Living for a Maximum Life. And where can people find it? Um, anywhere books are sold. It's mainly online right now. So, you know, Amazon, Walmart, Target, Barnes & Noble. Okay. Um, so, yeah, basically online. So
0: I know I'll share... In the show notes for everyone, so that you can get the direct link on that book. And I have read most of it, and I love, I love how you just take us through some of the practical things, um, because we have a lot of moms listening too. And you, you mentioned food because that's probably my highest thing too. I love organic food. I love the farmers market. I love to eat well, and that can take up a big portion of our budget. So as far as um, living with a budget, you know, back in the day, again, I used to think that that was a bad thing. Like, oh, don't restrict me. You know, I want to I wanna just live my own way. And I f- find that, you know, even with schedule and some structure, I don't know how to live without a budget anymore. Like we are very and my husband, I have to thank for too. He's very diligent about you know making a new budget on that whenever um, a different part of our life happens, and we're we're pretty frugal in that. And I and I I want to hear your tips on living in a budget. Um, how people who are in debt right now, how they can kind of get start getting a handle on that. And, um, you know, if there's other things that they can start saving up for, just, just how do you create your budget and then, um, get to the, well, we'll go to food later. Let's just start with the budget.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they tie together. Absolutely. Yes. So as we kind of started with, yeah, we, we've always had a budget. My husband has been working in baking just recently for the past seven years. So it was kind of a great transition for us. We've always had a budget, but he's gotten a lot better at, you know, how to manage it just because of his experience at work. And once we had the budget, we noticed that we had the budget and we had numbers, but we didn't follow it. Right. Because it was just like sitting there. Right. On, we used credit cards. So we found the Dave Ramsey method. And that's so if the, for those of you who don't know, that's kind of the you have envelopes with actual cash in it. And so then that way you kind of are very aware of what you're using. So I'm sure there's some apps out there too, but for us it was like really eye opening to be like, oh yeah, wow, we are really not staying in our budget. Cause you, we would, we would look at our budget, after the month of spending. And I was like, wait, <laughs> <laughs> right. I know that, you know, people are probably not, everyone's probably a little bit smarter than us on that, but we were young and we were like, yeah, let's check how we did. Oh wow. We continually are spending over a budget. <laughs> so doing the cash method, the Dave Ramsey method was a, a step in the right direction. It didn't last super long for us personally, just because we, as much as I would love to like get rid of credit cards altogether we enjoy getting the miles so we can fly to see our family. And we, um, it just was a little bit tedious for us because I do homeschool and we do, we're out and about doing activities every day. It just was a little tedious. And there was a lot of places where like cash just really wasn't like the easiest option. Mm -hmm. So it was still really, really great for us to start because it really kind of had that self-awareness piece. So we still do do credit cards now, but now we're just obviously like we are very aware. And so an interesting thing that we did recently, because you're always playing with it. And like you said, your, your life always adjusts. Mm-hmm. And so we recently, my husband, we, since we moved to Colorado, he hasn't been able to get a job that pays the same. So we're kind of restructuring, reevaluating. And so we put our food money on a check card So then, you know, that way we're very aware of, okay, don't you literally, because that's where we spend all our money. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: we have, people always laugh when they hear, and I'm very honest with money. We spend 350 a week on food and that is including, you know, like Epsom salts and essential oils and homeopathics and soap. And so that's, you know, it's not just food, but, you know, basic, like your basic need, household needs and food, it's 350 a week. So it's on that check card. So then I actually am aware of what I'm spending instead of on a credit card where you're just like swipe, 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 you know. Mm-hmm. So that's been our journey. And ways to save on food, it's really fun. It's This has been like a lifelong journey for our family because we've tried a million different things. And so number one is buying things in bulk. Mm-hmm. So organic food in bulk, it's a lot cheaper. And we do have a Costco membership. And although I prefer local organic small farms right now currently in our budget we just can't sustain that we do it as much as we can we go to the farmers markets but in general just as a whole the frozen organic uh, fruits and vegetables has saved us a ton of money and it doesn't go bad right Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's been huge And I like to always tell people, although of course fresh food, fresh local food is going to be the most nutrient dense. The next closest is actually, you know, uh, frozen food because frozen food is picked at its ripeness. Whereas fresh produce, I've worked on several organic farms, so fresh produce. Let's say you know we're in Colorado, our food's coming from California. We'll have to pick it before it's ripe, so that by the time it gets here. It's nice and ripe and ready to go. Um, I mean, and people know this, right? You you see your avocados and they're hard as a rock, and then you know a week later they're ready to go at your grocery store, and they, you're not getting the nutrients that the soil provides because they're picking it before it's ready. Mm -hmm. So you know of course local organic food is going to be the best because it's picked at rightness. You get it right away. It's not frozen. It's great. But for it, as far as a budget, that's been our route. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then if you do choose to eat meat, bulk meat, uh, works really great. Of course, grass fed, of course, hormone antibiotic free. Um, so that's kind of where we, we, there's a, we have to do a lot of research with that. So we haven't currently found our Colorado person, but, um, we had a great one in Minnesota, and, you know, like free range, they're all out there just eating grass like they normally would. And so that's another way to save money. And as far as, you know, I always start the grocery store with my budget and I go on the um, outside because I, I everyone knows the whole perimeter thing where it's like, you know, do the, the perimeter is your produce and your, you know,
0: mm-hmm. your
1: eggs, your your dairy and if for those who eat dairy and stuff. But um you know that's the best way is start there and then if you have money left in your budget then you can maybe go into the more you know like crackers and chips and you know some of the more fun pro- like processed foods of course we want to avoid that altogether but as you know with kids i mean
0: mm-hmm.
1: we, we let our son have a few you know chips here and there i mean you got to be realistic so right right um That's kind of how we keep our budget in check. (laughs) That's
0: great. Those are good tips. And uh, it makes me think of your kitchen. Um, Do you have like a few favorite appliances or um, what are essentials for you in your small kitchen?
1: Oh, yeah. We, gosh, yeah, we pare down a lot. Um, We we basically just um, saute everything or in the oven – Okay. And the only, we have a, uh, sometimes we like to y- use sweet potatoes and make hash browns. So we have like the, you know, cheese grater. Uh-huh. Um, and then we have, um, the only other really gadget we have is the thing where you make noodles out of zucchini or carrots and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we have like that noodle spiral thingy. Um, and that is honestly uh, in a tea kettle. <laughs> That's like Do it. you have a, a Vitamix or like a blender? not yet okay. we we will be doing the immersion blender it just uh, hasn't yeah it hasn't been in our budget but yeah we as as of now we costco has some great um, pre-made you know fresh Smoothies, so um, you know, or green nut smoothies, green juice mixes with only 10 grams of sugar. So mm-hmm. that's been our go to for now. But ideally, once it's in our budget, we will definitely get the immersion blender because I want mine like mine. I don't want any fruit in mine, I want just veggies, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, that's so great. Okay, so you're living
0: in this tiny home now. And um, are you guys in a part of a tiny home community? Where is your actual, I mean, without giving your address out, but like, yeah. where is your, you know, home?
1: <laughs> That's a really great question. So you caught us at a really funny time. So we've been in Colorado for seven weeks. Um, we've been living actually in our camper. So our tiny home is still waiting for us. Um, it's going to be shipped to us and we are actually moved here because we will be building communities. So we actually meet next week with um, the county, uh, just a local county, about legalizing tiny homes. So as of now, hmm. there is no zoning for tiny house parking in Colorado unless it's on a foundation. So we are trying to move the movement forward and find ways to get tiny homes on wheels hmm. on foundations. So um, we, in the meantime, we will just be parking in people's backyards Um, while we wait for um, these counties to kind of get on board with us. So that's sort of been my current mission with the tiny house movement is getting them legalized because it's been really, we've been just living in people's backyards for the last two and a half years. And we really value community and we want to be sure that there's safe um, family-based community because everyone's like, just go live in an RV park, go live in a mobile home park. And um, we have visited and stayed at several RV parks in our camper. And, you know, it's a vacation atmosphere because most people are there to have fun and be on vacation. And, you know, you got a lot of cars, you've got smoking and drinking, and it's just not really our vibe. So we are trying to really build purposeful, intentional communities that will have a um, organic farm and um, a CSA program so that, you know, we're, we're giving back to the community. Mm,
0: that's wonderful. It seems like, um, more and more people, are you finding that more and more people are interested in this type of living?
1: Yeah, there's a huge need right now. There are tons of tiny homes being built and tons of people living in them. And unfortunately in the last year, several people have given up. Um, they've mm-hmm. lived tiny and they've given up cause there's no place to park and they're sick of just getting kicked out of backyards. Um, mm-hmm. we personally have never been kicked out. Because we've been in the country and we're always like kind of caretakers. And, but if not everyone wants to do that, that's not everyone's skill set. So, mm-hmm. and you know, some people have their kids in school and they want to be by their school. And there's just a lot of variables and there's just this huge movement now and even RVs. And there's a lot of families living full time in RVs and they don't have a place to park because all the RV, at least in Colorado currently, all the RV spots are taken up by by vacationers and RV companies don't want to waste their money on these year round RVers who are paying way less. They make a lot more money on vacationers. So wow. they'll let them live there spring, fall, winter, and then they kick them out in the summer.
0: Wow. Interesting. I know there was in Kansas city, a tiny movement, at least community, uh, they were, you know, starting the process, but I, I'll have to look in to see where that has gone. I think, um, we need people like you. I'm glad that you're like making this your mission because um, obviously so many people are looking for ways to simplify their life. And it starts with their home life. And whether or not it's a tiny home or just a, you know, minimal living, uh, we need to find our people, right? We need to find that support and that community. And I think that's kind of where What's kept us where we are right now is we do have an acre of land. And some days when we have to, you know, take that riding mower, well, I shouldn't say we, but mostly my husband does that. He, um, you know, we, we're like, what? This is a lot to take care of. And <laughs> we've, we've had the idea to build a garden and all, but, you know, really we do our herbs in our pots and otherwise the deer eat it. So it's, it's, so we're in that same reflection mode quite often. But what we love about where we live is the community and it yes. is like a little town. and so um good for you i mean you have to create that community and i'm curious when you talked a lot you know a little bit about your own doubts or fears that came up um for me i know that i have to find my people like i have to feel like like i'm not the only one living this way and so how do you find your support now without this community where are you finding your people um, when you feeling like, ah, we're the only ones that are doing this, or do you feel that?
1: Oh, no. Yeah. There's, oh gosh, the tiny house community is growing exponentially day by day. It's amazing. Um, and you know, some people have a love hate relationship with technology, I always say if it's used for the purpose of, you know, joy and abundance and bringing people together, then I say it's a great tool. So Mm -hmm. there's amazing Facebook groups. I've met all of our tiny house tribe here in Colorado on Facebook and on, um, you know, just local groups and Instagram and all that. So um, it's actually, we, we actually feel like we have a whole tribe behind us. They might not be all within, you know, distance where we can see each other personally, but There's a it does feel super community based because every, you know, even though everyone didn't go into this movement for the same reason, you know, the there is the unifying reason of simplifying and freedom. And so that has really brought people together. And um, currently I am going around and trying to get all the builders. There's a lot of tiny home builders in Colorado. And I'm getting them together and saying, hey, let's put our competition aside. Let's make this happen because it's going to benefit everybody. And so far, I've had some really great responses. And I've also got community members coming in and saying, you know, we don't personally want to live in a tiny house, but if you want to, that's awesome. Like, build a community. You know, there's this three-acre property over here that's empty, and it looks like really junky, and it needs to be taken care of. And you can fit 10 tiny homes on there and make it a beautiful, you know, organic farm. And So that's kind of where, you know, we've actually had quite the opposite experience we've really, you know, sort of attracted that tribe and we feel extremely blessed. And there's, in Colorado specifically, which is why we moved here, there's three tiny house festivals just this summer. And I have the blessing of being able to speak at all of them. And it's just going to be so fun to sort of just see how last year there was 20,000 people just at the first tiny house, Colorado tiny house festival Um, there used to be called the tiny house jamboree, but that moved to Texas. And I know, I think they had more like 40,000 people. So this is not like a, you know, it turned, it started at grassroots and it's sort of turning into this whole movement. Everyone's like, Oh, it's not going to last. And I'm like, well, people are kind of tired of spending $500,000 on a home that they only use half of. So it doesn't, it's not for everyone, but it should be an option. Mm -hmm. I, I
0: think. Oh, that's great. Um, I remember in your book, you talked about the skeptics. Um, how do you deal with people? Do you ever come across people that, you know, think you're depriving your family in some way or think your choices are strange or even your own like family? How how has that been in your life?
1: Yeah, it definitely started out that way. It was there was a lot of, you know, pushback, especially having a child, you know, are, are you're you're going to damage your child. They don't get a normal childhood and you know, I sort of having traveled around the world, I I think Americans have a little bit of a skewed view, because tiny living, um, it might not be on wheels, but tiny living is kind of the norm in most of the country, Um, or sorry, the nation. It's just sort of, you know, like in Europe, especially, and there's just tiny living is just how life is, because they're utilizing their space efficiently, right? And everyone wants to be near the city. And Granted, the prices are absorbent. I have a friend from London who's just like, oh, you don't even want to know how much like 800 square feet is in London. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, it, it's just interesting, too, when you think of, you know, the average child spends most of their life until 18 in a small classroom and you stuff 30 to 35 children. And this what like 200, 300 square foot room. I mean, it depends on your school of course mm-hmm. and, you know, where you're at. But, um, you know, if, when you think of it that way, my son is actually has more space than the average child per day because there's one of him. And honestly, we will have more children. But um, so that was sort of like how I like to give the analogy is, you know, just remember your kid is in a classroom all day and my child, we're only in our tiny house, maybe like, three hours a day <laughs> mm-hmm. so we're like out enjoying nature and the library and community resources and even in the winter you know there's so many there's museums and zoos and and um just so many indoor playgrounds and rock climbing and a gymnastics class and music class and there's so many fun things that you can do that um it's really forced us to get out in the community and get to know whereas when we were in our big house we kind of just kept to ourselves because mm-hmm. our house was super comfortable and just sat on our couch and played in the living room. And that was about it. And Mm -hmm. I love that the small living forces you to sort of get involved. So that's kind of how we talk to it about people. And then also as far as, you know, once the tiny house was built and people stepped into it and sort of were, they were amazed, like when from the outside, it looks super small, you step into it and it has 13 foot ceiling Mm-hmm. So it has this big open feel, and there's windows everywhere you look, and so people don't feel claustrophobic. And then they're like, "Wow, I'm just kidding! This is amazing and gorgeous." And
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. That is awesome. I, I, it has to force you to be more creative too. Do you find that it enhances your creativity?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, that's the clutter piece, right? Mm-hmm. Like in our big home, I just, you don't know. It's not like a conscious thing of like this stuff is bugging me, but having the stuff gone, it it's so amazing the shift. I, I, I mean, since moving into our tiny house, I started doing watercolors. I started doing those like mindful pe- uh, colored pencil coloring. I wrote a book. I've been blogging. I've been doing Instagram, all these things that I never would have thought to do in the big house because I was always cleaning it or organizing it or you just this underlying stress of like knowing you have so much junk but not really knowing what to do with it.
0: <laughs> well, you're so right. And I think, you know, even my own home, I go crazy if things are like out of like just stuff around like the kids you know might put legos on the dining room table and that stuff just makes me crazy and I feel I mean you drain you can drain just that invisible mental load Um, but then just the actual time it takes to put that stuff away again and to reorganize and 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 then who has the time or energy to sit and write that book they have wanted to or paint that painting or play with their kids because you're just reshuffling and reorganizing and putting away
1: yes yes, yes. exactly <laughs> oh, my oh my gosh you, you said it right there <laughs> well
0: it, and in the introvert side of me when you talk about like getting out into the world there's a piece of me that I'm like oh, but I need my like my home to hide out in or I need my quiet time or you know um but i value so deeply i mean when i look around the kids are wherever i am so they we gravitate towards each other regardless of how big or how small our home is anyway and so i think it probably will teach you too as your children age that you know the value of quiet time independent time um respecting each other's need for quiet. I would assume that just come, is part of the family value, right? You just kind of instill that in your family when you're home. <laughs> At least I would have to.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. And we haven't, you know, we've actually had more of that time since going tiny, because especially right now, our camper, it's a little bit trickier, because it's all one room. Mm-hmm. But in our tiny house, we have lofts. So, you know, Wyatt would be in his loft playing quietly, reading books, or well, who am I kidding? He doesn't really read books. He's for <laughs> He's playing with trucks or Play-Doh or whatever. And Mm -hmm. And, you know, my, I might be doing dishes, listening to a podcast and my husband would be in the other loft reading a book or, so we, we didn't have time for any of that. It was always like, okay, go to the yard, go, go clean the house. Oh gosh, this, this thing broke on the water filter, blah, blah, you know, it's always, it was always something. And now with having such a small space and I always tell people, you don't need to live in a tiny house and, but maybe you want to downsize from 3000 square feet to 2000, or, you know, maybe you just want to like you know, have a family member come live with you and they can help with the yard work. Or maybe you want to have a accessory dwelling in your backyard and that person can help with the yard or the garden. And any way you can kind of reduce that stress load, that that Mm -hmm. maintenance load, that, you know, taking care, even if it's a, you know, maybe you make into your budget that you have someone come clean your house, or maybe you know, like someone who has a teenager that wants some extra money and they can vacuum and mop and dust your house for you. Or there's just so many ways to sort of just kind of get rid of that stress load. Mm, That's really good.
0: I think, um, I hope that everyone listening really hears that, that, you know, if you're looking at your own life and just feel like where to even begin to kind of, um, assess what's the thing that's standing out the most, that's just so, Overwhelming. What isn't working? Are you living in debt? Do you know how to work with a budget? Maybe that's the the place to begin. Um, Maybe it's it's not that. Maybe it's just the toys, the kids' toys, and there's no, you know, you haven't let go of it in the last ten years. How can you start to donate? I love when you said the teachers who came and got your stuff at half the cost. Like that to me is my motivation. When I am donating and giving away things. I try to envision, um, and and sometimes I even put a blessing on that stuff, especially Mm -hmm. the stuff I really care about, and, and just envision that the right person who needs it will find it. And it just brings me joy knowing that instead of it collecting dust in my home, it's giving new life to someone who who needs it? And so that's my hope for those listening is that you will feel inspired today to just begin to start in that one area where you're feeling heavy and you want to, right? Because that's what I feel from you talking with you, Emily, is like this breath is this lightness. It's like, yeah, it's not perfect. There's still challenges. There's still things that you're facing, but there's this breath that you've been able to at least um, step away from not feeling overwhelmed and burdened and and overloaded by your things. And that inspires me. And I hope others feel that way too. I know they do. You're an inspiration.
1: Oh, gosh, you're so kind. Thank you so much. Well, it is
0: because it is a scary path to go, but at the same time, it's like what's scarier? Being consumed and overwhelmed by your things, staying in your home, never writing that book, never um, doing those things that you dream about doing because you're constantly shuffling or you're constantly worried about your mortgage or whatever it is. And and I think that, you know, that's where we can all um, – feel inspired today is just where what can we, what are we holding on to because we're afraid? and what can we start letting go of so that we can have that freedom that we so desire? I think we all desire that. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I can tell you it's totally worth it. Whatever path you take to downsizing, declutter, simplifying your life, whatever path you take, um, is going to be the right path for you. So just do it with joy in your heart and just take it slow and just trust that it's going to work out.
0: <laughs> I love that. And as we wrap up, um, I know that self-care is really important to you and you, you would have to, I imagine, because I know when I either don't get the right amount of sleep or I'm not taking good care of myself, you know, I turn into um, a grouch. Um, my outlook changes, my perspective on things, you know, isn't as healthy or clear. And so self-care, is so has to be very important to you, too, so that you don't start, um, like you said, going down that ancestral path or, you know, feeling like you're living it without. So what are your self care go tos?
1: Oh, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny because like it shifts as, as I sort of shift and sort of as I, you know, go through different kind of cycles of my life. But you know, it started off like when we first moved into the tiny house, it was just this huge breath of fresh air of like focusing on grounding and yoga and meditation and just being very present. And then it's kind of shifted. Um, now, this new kind of adventure of legalizing tiny homes has been sort of like really inspiring. And I listened to your amazing podcast about intuition and my intuition is definitely, you know, it's like a nervousness, but it's not, it's like an excitement. It's like, I'm so fired up and excited about it. So some of those self-care practices that I, I I will obviously shift back into, but right now I feel this huge push. So self-care for me right now is just being inspired and just kind of like making this happen and obviously not making in a like striving way but as like following my intuition is when if I feel called to really make a push for it then I do and then when I feel I need to rest I do but over through all of it the most important self-care piece for me is getting out into nature and I think sometimes we think meditation is like in a dark room in you know you know a, a yoga pose and just like sitting by ourselves And I like to remind people that, um, you know, meditation can be whatever it is for you. Like sometimes it's um, just, you know, listening to a podcast while I do dishes or taking a hike or, um, you know, something like that. So,
0: um, yeah, that's sort
1: of my journey right now. Mm, That's so wonderful. Well, I know we could talk.
0: Forever. I really I want to reconnect with you at some point once you get your tiny home and um, and just see how this journey unfolds for you next. So let's make sure to make that happen.
1: Oh, I would love that. Thank you.
0: Good. And um, anything else you want to share as we wrap up and especially let our listeners know just where they can learn more about you. And don't you have some videos of your tiny home or how can we just get more into your life?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So on social media, if you're looking for specifically tiny house stuff, you can find me at tiny house, big moments on all social media. If you're looking for kind of all of me, the mindfulness piece and gentle parenting and unschooling, and um, you can find me at mindful minimalist mama all over social media. And then, um, you know, those videos and stuff are on the tiny house one. I'm also going to be starting to post on um, the mindful minimalist mama one. And then just in general, the website is www.mindfulminimalistmama.com.
0: Okay, wonderful. Well, I so appreciate your time today and you continue to inspire me. I'm going to go right after this and start looking (laughs) at more stuff that I can downsize. So I appreciate it so much because um, I don't want to live my the rest of my life's you know stuck in stuff and um, I think there's just more to living than that and I just appreciate what you're doing and the courage that you have and I'll be excited to see what where your family goes next
1: oh thank you so much for having me and all you do I really appreciate it and I look forward to you know following all the amazing podcasts you have coming next
0: thanks Emily we'll talk soon bye thank you Thanks, everyone, for listening today. Go to afreespiritlife.com and look up episode 16 for all the show notes. That way, you can get in touch with Emily and follow her tiny house journey. And to learn more about my Live Freely Circle, which is my online support group, or my one on one coaching, visit my holistic life coaching page on my website I am now offering in-person coaching sessions if you live in the Kansas City area and I also offer sessions through the phone so we can connect no matter where you live and if you like this show, please share this podcast with all of your friends. Putting a podcast together is a blast, but it's also a lot of work. And it's up to all of us to get the word out so that we can grow our community. So I'd really appreciate if you share the show with your friends. Go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review and rate our show because the more reviews we get, the more free spirits we can connect with. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. And I will see you next time. Open your heart and your soul